Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Ko Cruz shares his path from a non-target university to a bulge bracket investment banking analyst role. We learn how he was able to land multiple relevant internships and how his networking emails yielded such a high response rate. Listen to hear how his first foray into private equity recruiting was a train wreck and how he turned it around only four months later. Enjoy. Okay, Co-Crew, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So it'd be awesome if you could just give the listeners a short summary of your bio. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I grew up not on the East Coast, pretty much, um, you know, very far away from the world of uh, banking, private equity, any of that. Um, kind of stumbled into it uh, during my undergraduate years. Um, was initially gunning for medical school. Took a sharp, you know, left turn. Uh, kind of had a few people that I went to school with that. Uh, we're going into finance, thought it was super interesting, was also doubling um, in some kind of like business school related courses. So um, after a lot of soul searching and talking to a, a lot of different people, um, you know, decided to give it a shot, had a few kind of banking and finance related internships pretty early on. So it gave me like a flavor for what I was stepping into, um, was lucky enough uh, to kind of recruit into a kind of bulge bracket bank for a junior internship um, that I guess went well, they wanted me back. Uh, so I did kind of a two-year analyst in there, uh, you know, graduated from that program, went to kind of a more traditional, you know, middle market private equity firm. Um, and since then have transitioned into another private equity firm that does, you know, kind of earlier stage technology investing. Um, cool. But they're also flexible mandate. And, you know, I kind of have pretty broad exposure there. That's awesome. Awesome. So let's go all the way back to undergrad. And you said you were kind of like pre-med. Is your family like uh, my dad was a doctor? Is your family uh, in medicine? No, you, you know what's funny about that? Like they didn't steer me any which way. It was just kind of something that, um, you know, as I looked at like kind of what my options were as a kid, I was always like pretty competitive, I guess. Uh, and I knew I wanted something like kind of intense, something that would, you know, be stimulating. And I guess doctor was just kind of the natural profile for something that I was looking for. That Yeah. You just wanted to, you know, work hundred hour weeks or, you know, do go through residency or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So I, yeah, I exactly. It, it, it was one or the other. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you're kind of okay. So you're kind of going into freshman year with that in mind, but you kind of get a little bit exposed. You said you had landed some internships early on. Was it freshman summer? Was it sophomore summer that you had kind of your first finance internship? Or tell me about how that worked. Yeah. So, like, um, I think by the end of my freshman year, I was fully kind of um, in the camp of not wanting to be a doctor anymore. And, yeah. uh, after that, um, started looking for some internships and I didn't really have like a finance internship after my freshman year, but it was more like a, kind of like a business development role. I like a large company, um, in like the capital of like where I'm from, um, mm -hmm. like the downtown area where I'm from. And so, yeah, it, it just kind of got my feet wet in terms of what like a business corporate role might look like. Yeah. Uh, but then my sophomore year, sophomore summer, um, that's when I was able to land like a, like a middle market banking sort of internship. Um, and it was pretty local, uh, near my hometown. And so, you know, I guess smaller market, but was able how to did you even, uh, but you know, were you, you were like 
at that point taking a, be declaring a, a major prior like saying okay i'm gonna do a finance but how did you even land that middle market role even the local regional one as a sophomore summer because i think that's that's from from looking at your your background it seems like that probably was kind of the key internship that kind of set you up for the junior summer right yeah you know i never thought about it that way just because it's been so long but yeah. you're probably 100 right yeah so like how did you get that sophomore summer internship was it networking was it friends of a friend like how did that work yeah it was 100 networking like i mentioned it's like a much smaller market so yeah. it was an easier task to just go on google figure out like what firms did investment banking in like this again small market it was like four firms <laughs> yeah yeah or, or like you know four firms that seemed even like legit enough to kind of reach out to and have like a meaningful experience um mm -hmm. and so at that point i just like looked on the team page and fired off a few cold emails and surprisingly like i i got pretty high yield on all of those emails like a lot of people were just willing to talk to me just because they weren't used to getting those types of inbounds so I guess what do you mean? So like, yeah, get, let's break that down because I think that's pretty interesting because oftentimes people will do like a spray and pray approach, right? Were, were you kind of doing that, like out looking outside the region or did you have to stay in the area? Um, I think I just had a preference for staying in my hometown just because I didn't really know how many more opportunities I'd have to like spend a summer at home again. Yeah. Um, if I was gunning for like New York or San Francisco, whatever else for my junior year internship. Right. Um, and so, so yeah, you already so, knew you wanted to go to like the big city for junior summer and you were, or you just thought that's, that was going to be needed. So you figured out, oh, let's stay local. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately I, I just kind of looked at the landscape and, you know, I did the same math. I think everyone else does, which is like, you go to a big bank, like the best that you can get that'll position you really well for like your next thing and so on. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I, I think that's just, you know, how I thought about it as well, where, you know, everything leading up to that point was just positioning me really well for uh, my recruiting process, my junior summer. Um, Got it. Okay. So you, you sent out some cold emails. You said you pretty good yield. So how many like emails did you actually send out to like bankers in, in the area? Yeah, I was, I was kind of parallel processing that with uh, kind of like the networking I was doing for my junior recruiting process as okay. well. Because yeah, everything's so accelerated, right? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> I would say I had a, like a, a networking process on the more aggressive side. I think in total, I spoke to like over a hundred people. You got on the phone with a hundred people? Yeah, or like near a hundred people. It was definitely near a hundred. 80 to a hundred, we'll say. Yeah, so it, yeah, that's I think an accurate range. And so, how many people did you have to reach out to, either cold email or LinkedIn or whatever, to get that many people on the phone? If it was like someone in the big cities, like Bulge Bracket or Elite Boutique, those kinds of banks, um, all of those people included, it was probably like 500, 600 emails. It was it was a lot of emails. That's a pretty good yield, like over ten percent yield. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think to an actual phone call, not even a response. That's really good. So how are how are you positioning yourself? Seems like you were getting a really good. Were you were you making them like super tailored these emails? Uh, yeah, somewhat. Like to the extent that I could. I think I also had like a pretty early head start. Um, so I think it was just a combination of like, you know, making it very clear that I wasn't there to waste anyone's time. That I had done some homework and putting that all somewhat succinctly into an email asking for a 30 minute conversation, I think just made my profile kind of stand out. And so you, you went ahead for, you asked a specific set time, didn't say like 10, 15 minutes, you said 30 minutes. Like, yeah, like a 20 minute conversation. 20 minutes. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm just curious. I'm always curious. Cause like that yield is really good. So I'm like, okay, what's the secret, you know? Yeah. I, I usually I tell like, people don't, don't expect more than a 5% yield on like even a response. Yeah, I mean that's that that's definitely what the base case should be. I think. So your 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 GPA must have been really high. It was bad. That's partly why I hit the networking grind so hard. Um, I think I took a bit of a hit uh, coming off of like my first year uh, taking a bunch of like STEM classes. Okay, so you had a lot of STEM, a lot of bio, like a lot of pre med. So your your GPA wasn't great. It, it was not great. <laughs> so did you wasn't. lead with that at all, or did you leave it out completely? Was it in your resume? Uh, it was in my resume, uh, usually not something that I volunteered to be completely honest. Um, yep. 
but I think like what usually ended up happening was that um, I think I presented well enough on the phone to the point yep. where by the time they got my resume, they didn't have as much like sticker shock <laughs> when they saw the GPA. Got it. So you weren't actually leading, you weren't sending the resume. It was just purely like, Hey, let's just chat. Um, I've learned, you know, I know about blah, 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 XYZ bank. Like how did you, how did you draw connections or parallels or what did when you said you did your homework and you demonstrated that? Can you give an example? Like, let's say you were emailing an elite boutique somewhere in New York. How would you show that you've done your, your homework? A lot of that is just kind of like, um, whatever I could read off of wall street oasis or whatever other resources. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, while I did go to what people would consider like a non-target, we had enough of an alumni presence for me to be able to like engage with people, get impressions of different banks, different groups, and kind of lean on that. Um, and I think a combination of just like literally going through any channel that I could, I had enough of like a surface level understanding of the landscape to be able to sound smart on it. Well, especially on the phone calls, but I mean like the initial emails where you, where you, were you actually writing something like that saying something like, Hey, I've seen you guys recently did this deal. Congrats. Or like, were you saying something like, Hey, I've heard your group is really strong and this doing a lot of blah, blah, blah. Or like, was it like that kind of tailored stuff? Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was like, for example, if it was like an elite boutique, I'd be sure to mention that like, you know, the really lean teams that I keep hearing about is something that's really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. It sounds like that's where you get a really strong junior experience. Mm-hmm. Um, like deals that they've done. I'd mentioned that like, you know, this deal seemed cool. So it'd be interesting to hear your perspective on it. Or if, you know, you know, anyone that you can put me in touch with that can speak to it, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, I think really just in terms of like overall networking approach, it's really just about like, <laughs> like you got to do the work. Um, like it's both a com- like a volume game of like sending out as many emails as you can um, getting the yield, but then it's also just, you know, not just using that conversation as dead air, but to actually like learn something and aggregate kind of data points, uh, through yeah. these conversations to actually seem, uh, more in- informed going from one phone call to the next. Yeah. It's almost like you, whatever you learn on the first one, you can kind of leverage for the next person you speak with from that same firm It's very easy to be like, Oh yeah, I spoke with, you know, Bob over at whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he mentioned this and get their perspective. And then it seems like you're more part of the in group, right? Yeah. hundred percent. And like the one other thing that I'd mentioned is like um, being on the other side of this, it's, it's very clear when someone, you know, either is uninterested or like they seem like they're going through the motions. They're going through the motions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'd much rather have like, you know, a conversation with someone who's trying to recruit and is actually being thoughtful about what their experience is going to be like. Um, because at that point, I know that they're actually interested and they want a very clear picture of what to expect before yeah. they actually start the job. And that's just a better conversation for both sides. Got it. Got it. Okay. So you kind of were basically you know, you were able to land this, this sophomore summer role, but you were also parallel kind of uh, networking and recruiting for junior summer. So did you get like both offers back to back or how did that work? Oh, that would have been pretty cool. Uh, no, no, I didn't. Um, you had to go into uh, junior year with no offer for junior summer yet. Yeah, that's right. That's okay. Right. But you had, now you had a banking internship on your resume. Did you actually get good experience at that boutique or no? Uh, yeah, it was decent. Um, considering that it was like a sophomore um, kind of internship, I think I got a pretty decent level of exposure. Cool. And I got very lucky because they actually had somewhat of a formalized program for interns. Um, and so I was, you know, like very kind of lucky local type of situation where I was able to, you know, go through that program. But yeah. um yeah, I, I went through that summer, was doing all the networking, was doing all the recruiting stuff. Um, and I actually didn't uh, get an offer for junior summer until like a few months after school had started. So I think it was like... Which is how it used to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that yeah. used to be normal. No, I, I, I hear about the timelines now and I'm just, you know, like it, it blows me away. I don't think I would have been prepared uh, if I was working. Well, a lot of people aren't prepared. That's the thing is it's like, you know. They're, they're, they're not prepared. Like they're kind of prepared on the surface. Then you dig and you realize there's like no actual knowledge there. Uh, so, okay. So you're, you're kind of going into your junior year. Are you nervous at this point? Are you thinking, okay, I, at least I have a good internship. I'm going to be fine. What's, what's the thought process. And then how did you end up landing this uh, internship at a bulge bracket bank? Um, 
did you, was it a resume drop on campus recruiting? Did you have to, or is it just through like a, uh, you know, cause your, your school, I won't say the school, but your school is, yeah, it's not like a super target or anything, but there are a decent amount of, of alums, right? So did you, was it through alums? How did it, how did it end up going? And then tell me a little bit about the actual interviews. Yeah, for sure. Um, if I was nervous, like absolutely. Uh, 100%. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 my school isn't one that just turns out like guaranteed 50 kids a year, uh, onto wall street. So there's a little bit of friction that I had to fight and it was like pretty palpable going through the, uh, recruiting process. Um, it very much felt like I had to make my own luck and like, you know, if non-target recruiting takes place after all like the kind of, you know, core school recruiting is over, it's kind of ambiguous timing on top of all of that. So yeah, there's definitely a little bit of like nervousness, but I did feel like I had a strong profile. Yeah. Um, I thought I had good experience and that I could talk to it. Um, so in that aspect, I felt prepared. Um, and I think my internship offer came together um, after I had a few conversations with an alum at the bank I ended up interning at for my junior year. Um, not like a massive group of alumni, but he somehow miraculously remembered me being like someone he talked to very early on. And um, I guess he, you know, liked me enough to you know, ask for my resume and he pretty explicitly, like, I remember the email that I got pretty explicitly said, just send me your resume. I'll make sure you get an interview. Um, and so that was a vote of confidence. And I think as far as like my interview process went, um, I think this just kind of speaks to coming from a non-target school again. Sorry, can I interrupt you really quickly? So that groundwork you had put in from sophomore year, just ended up paying off it's like you he liked he or she liked you and put in the good word final like saying yeah i'll get you an interview for without you having to reach out again or you had reached out you reached out again early kind of junior year to get that yeah yeah that's uh, yeah good point that's probably worth digging into i uh i had like an initial conversation with him early my sophomore year yeah um and had like maybe two more follow-up calls over the course of the next 12 months oh wow so it's a lot every three or four months, every four months or so you had kind of checked in and done some other calls. He, was he trying to kind of help you along? Yeah, for sure. He, he was helpful at every point. And I think he just wanted to help kids from my school and he was just an engaged alum. Cool. Um, was also very aware of like how difficult the recruiting process is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he wanted to be helpful. And then finally, what kind of the, the catalyst was I had taken a trip to New York kind of like on my own dime to go meet people that I had been speaking on the phone with. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, him and I had a scheduled like coffee that he couldn't make. Um, he felt bad about it. And so finally he's just like, send me your resume and I'll make sure you're set up for an interview. <laughs> nice. so that's kind of, yeah. That's kind of the series of events there. <laughs> you're like, Hey, the coffee, the, it's easier on me, right? Not having to do the coffee here. Like, yeah, that's fine. Just give me the interview. Oh yeah. So I have relief for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So you're kind of, um, you know, you have at least this interview at a bulge bracket bank. Was it, was there, was this your only shot? Did you have any middle market bank interviews kind of lined up uh, any other bulge brackets? Yeah, I, I had a few other processes. I think um, by the time that process kicked up, I was near final round for like another middle market kind of banking gig um, in New York. Um, had a few other processes that were like early. Do you mind saying what bank uh, the middle market was? Uh, I'd, I'd rather not. If okay. That's, okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I had that offer in hand, um, had a few others that were like early, but like, you know, first, second rounds, you can never tell where they're going to shake out. So it's yeah. not like I could really, you know, go in thinking that, you know, it was, I, I didn't take it very lightheartedly, uh, you, you know, the process with yep. uh, the Bulls Bracket Bank. Um, but as far as the actual interview process, um, I would say like it was a reflection of just coming from like a non-target again. Like I think what I've heard from my friends who went through the same process at their kind of target schools was like they did like 30 minutes with an MD and they were like done. They had like an offer and like that was it. And it was like light on technicals, whatever. I had three rounds. <laughs> The first of which was a transaction walkthrough from my sophomore summer uh, internship, which looking back on it seems a bit rigorous. <laughs> um, and then second round was like 45 minute technical session with a VP. 
Uh, and then last round was a super day, which I think a few more steps involved there than like, you know, just having a 30 minute conversation. Um, how many, how many interviews did you have on your super day? I mean, usually super days, even for target kids, I think is, you know, four to four to 10 interviews, something like that. Was oh, it? Wow. Yeah. No, yeah I, I didn't have that. Thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> no, and usually it's not that high, but yeah, anywhere from like three to five is pretty typical. I think. Yeah. I, I would say the super day was pretty typical where I got in for like an hour and a half. I was out and it was pretty standardized. Okay. So you uh, ended up getting the internship offer, accepting it. Um, was it for a specific group? Was it, uh, did you feel like, or was it a generalist and then they were going to place you at the end of the summer? Like what was the, what did they communicate? Yeah, I, I think my offer was pretty typical of what you'd see from that bank and a lot of other bulge bracket banks, which is that I was a generalist and I basically had this, I don't know, call it like eight month window to network into um, a group for my internship. Um, basically, the way that it works is like, and it's well documented on WSO, but um the way that it worked for me was I had all this lag time out of my internship starting to have, you know, conversations and the firm provided like a full book of contacts by group. Um, so, you know, I was able to reach out to people and, you know, analysts and associates generally know that this process happens just because they went through it themselves in yep. some way. Um, and so kind of similar to getting like, you know, networking calls in for recruiting, you basically repeat that same process for group placement. Um, but I think the difference here is like the conversations are a bit more targeted. Uh, you're asking more about like the, the summer internship, about the culture at the group, about what you'll probably be working on um, and just try to get a sense of like what the group is like. Do you feel like you're actually able to accurately assess that from those conversations? Like, is it actually is it helpful or is it like more trying to get a feel of like the personalities in the group? I, I think, uh, or is it more just like this popularity? Like, it seems like a weird matching process. Like how come, how, how much can you, you know, are they, where are they, I guess better question, were the analysts forthcoming about like realities of the group? Like if it was like a, you know, sweaty very much dependent on the group, like very much dependent on. The group. Got it. So some people, but you did, you were able to get gather some information that was helpful. Yeah, definitely. I think like at the end of the day, those conversations will give you um, like a very high level perspective on what the group is like, both in terms of culture and busyness. Yep. Um, so like you also got to be careful what you're asking, though, right? You don't want to be like, hey, is it a lot, a lot of work hours? And like you don't want it to reflect poorly on you either. Yeah, for sure. Because no, like you're sure. trying to get a full time offer. You don't want to be seen as like the, this intern who's like just trying to figure out the weakest or the, the slowest group. Or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Try to game it. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, yeah. I, I, again, I, I think it's just approaching it as if you were going through the recruiting process. Um, right. Very much have to approach it as if you are interviewing for the group that you're going to get placed into. Um, I, I think that's just like the kind of rigor you need to have, especially when you're, you know, gunning for like some of the top groups at, at a bulge bracket bank, because I think, you know, across the bulge bracket banks, you, you get a level deeper and like, there's a lot of variation amongst groups in terms of how strong they are, what deals they do, yep. uh, the culture you get. So to avoid some of that, like bad luck with that, within that variability, it, it, it's a good idea to kind of have as many conversations as you can. Like avoid the bad luck of being placed with a group that has like low deal flow and long hours. Yeah. Yeah. Or just like, it's not a fit for you for any sort of reason. Okay. So you, you actually like took the time to, to do all those calls. Like what would happen to you? I mean, is it expected of you to like, I mean, how many people do you actually talk to through that whole process? Well, in those eight months. Um, and then when, and then when do they actually, when do they actually match you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it wasn't 80 to hundred, so that's good news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. No, I think it was closer to like 20 to 25. That's a lot. That's still a lot. Yeah. I, I but again, I, I think I started pretty early just cause I was conscious of how competitive it might get. Mm -hmm. Um, I think ultimately I ended up at like my number three or four choice. Mm -hmm. Um, and the most of that, um, process is, pretty concentrated in like the last like month or two uh, leading into the internship. Got it. Right before the summer. Like May timeframe. Yeah, exactly. And so, so was, 
how many did you have to rank? How many groups? Uh, I don't know if I can even remember, but 10 or 15. Oh, five. Okay. So you ended up with like third or fourth choice. Okay. Okay. So it wasn't like, uh, yeah, no. Um, so I, I rank them, the groups rank us as like an intern pool. Um, and then it kind of goes through this HR black box where they like match you. Um, and I say black box because there have been plenty of situations where, you know, a group ranks someone first and vice versa, yet they end up in like a completely random group. Um, there are some uh, horror stories. Like that. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, I, yeah. I call it the HR black box. That's why. <laughs> Yeah, we get some angry HR uh, threads from time to time on WSO for <laughs> maybe that's why. Um, okay, so great. So that's actually really helpful just just to get a sense of like how it all how it all works. But so you you get matched, you hear about it, you start kind of going in. What's your thought process in terms of kind of prepping for the summer? Anything you did to get ready? Any any kind of advice for the listeners that are kind of entering here in a similar boat? Yeah, um, I mean, I can only kind of speak to like the experience that I had going into my group, I think I'm conscious that not every group kind of has this approach, but um, I joke that, you know, my old group is very like intern friendly. Like, you know, there wasn't, you know, extremely high expectations for interns to be able to like whip out like an LBO model, like the first day on the desk or right. you didn't get like tested or anything throughout. Um, but, you know, w- with that being said, I don't think it hurts to, uh, to just stay sharp as sharp as you can on like the technical stuff, you know, keep speaking to people to get a sense of like what best practices are and to just, you know, be as effective as you can for like the nine weeks that you are on the desk. Um, sure. But I would very much, uh, I'm very much in the camp of recommending that you enjoy, you know, the lag time between school and the internship starting just because it's like almost all of the job you learn um, on the job. Uh, and so the hour, the hours are tough for that summer. Oh yeah. Brutal. <laughs> yeah. So were you working like over 90 average hours or over a hundred, you think? Uh, I would say on average, it was probably 90. Yeah. Um, it was like my two years at Rothschild. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I mean, obviously dip below and above depending on the week, but I would say I probably averaged out to 90. And, um, as you kind of approach that, I guess, you know, you're going in you're, you're ready for it. Right. You kind of knew what to expect. Um, any surprises like throughout, through the summer, um, you know, anything where you had to turn it around, like to get, get an offer or were you like a pretty high performer throughout the summer? Um, I, I I think I generally got decent feedback. Um, so I, I don't think there was any like point any like stumbles out of the gate, like where you just more didn't know what to expect. Cause it's, it's hard. It's kind of your first, like real, I guess you had had the internship prior, but like, it's your first, like, you know, you know, large internship class, you, you can get lost, you know what I mean? Or like put with some random. Oh, for sure. I, I made plenty of mistakes to be clear. Yeah. Uh, like, but like looking back on it, I probably made like mistakes. I would have drove me crazy as like the analyst checking network. But mm-hmm. um, I think as an intern, what's important is like, <laughs> honestly, I think the most important quality is just like social awareness a little bit. Like, don't be a burden where you're like, you know, constantly pestering uh, full-time analysts and associates about your work. Um, just recognizing that, you know, you're there for your own development, but like you also have to push work streams forward and you kind of have to be very conscious of like the most efficient and effective way to do that without <laughs> again, being annoying. Um, Can you give an example of that? Like, um, so like, let's say you get stuck somewhere you're like it might not be the best time to like approach your analyst right if he's like in a fire drill but like yeah exactly but tell me a little bit about like yeah do you have an example of like how as an intern you would like manage that yeah um i i think it's i think it's very visually apparent when someone's going through a fire drill <laughs> like yeah. um you know they're like tapping their foot they're like locked into the screen they're you know frantically typing like y- you can just kind of get a sense um yeah. I always just kind of, uh, you know, emailed before I walked over to anyone or like gave them a quick buzz. Um, if it went to voicemail, then I, you know, I'd give it like 30 minutes before walking over there. Yeah. Um, it, it's just stuff like that. It's like really not rocket science, but you know, a shocking number of kids, I think they get wrapped up in like this high kind of stress culture and they kind of lose sight of like, 
you know, this other person might very much be dealing with their own work, even though their, you know, intern is like very focused on like the small piece of the project. Yeah. They're like, they're like, I can't deal with you right now. Like you, do, like, they're like, you don't matter right now. Please just like leave. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, get out I mean, of the look, way. It's the best thing you could do right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, look, I've, I've worked with really, you know, great interns that were like massive helps to me during my analyst years, but at the end of the day, like they're college students and you know, the expectation isn't that they're just, again, like handling the most critical pieces of work uh, on any given deal. So it's just a little bit of it is just understanding like where you are in the entire workflow. Um, and, and besides that, just having a really good attitude, like those two things just can go really far in your nine weeks. All right. So you get the offer. It's party time, all senior year. <laughs> You're like, wow, but I'm going to go back to that, you know, pretty intense, you know, work life situation, right? So what's your thought process kind of knowing what's coming, given that you had a pretty rough summer, were you thinking, okay, I'm just gonna have a really great senior year and then just lock, lock down and look for exits. What was the thought process? Yeah, very much had like a fun senior year, uh, definitely prioritized like seeing my friends, uh, for, for like the last time in a while together. And, you know, just like going out into the local city that our campus was based in, like really, really took advantage of like free time and personal time that I had in college yeah. just because I knew that those days were quickly coming to an end. Um, yeah. And I definitely did think about, you know, what I was going to do after banking. I think, you know, as, as you're kind of softly alluding to, um, after you go through it, it, it kind of gives you a realistic uh, look inside and it's not as like cool maybe as what you thought it was when you were like a recruiting software. It wasn't Wolf of Wall Street? What? <laughs> it, it wasn't, unfortunately. I, got, I have terrible news for podcast listeners. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no. It's, so I, I started thinking about what I wanted to do after. Um, and I, I just didn't know for a while. Um, I didn't know if it was going to be like continuing to stay in banking or moving to private equity or whatever. And I struggled with it a lot. Um, and I actually sought out like a local private equity firm. Um, like close to our campus actually, and did like a small kind of internship there, like part-time for like 20 hours a week. In your senior year? My senior year, yeah. So you really didn't slow down. Okay, you're tr because you're trying to get, you're still searching a little bit of like, hey, do I really want to go back and do this? Yeah, uh, yeah. to be honest with you, I was so bored. Uh, <laughs> like I just had, I, I just had way too much time. Um, yeah. And I was taking a pretty light course load. So I thought I might as well get like an answer to like what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Um, so I ended up doing that and that was actually like a phenomenal experience. Um, and I think it validated a lot of how I was thinking about, you know, my, my progression after banking. So that you think that, uh, that PE internship helped you in, in recruiting later on? Uh, honestly, no, no. Like, what was this something that you could talk to during that? Be like, well, I always look towards private equity. <laughs> yeah. Not? I mean, I mean, I think we're getting there, but like the private equity recruiting experience, at least for me, was just so hyper focused on like two or three big things. And like, if you couldn't speak to those big things, then you were done. Or if you didn't hit certain criteria that they use as like immediate filters, you were done. Yep. Um, Can we talk about that? Absolutely. So yeah, let's talk about, so you're basically, you know, okay, you start your job, you're working probably crazy hours again, and you're kind of approaching, I'm trying to think when 2018 you started. So I'm trying to think of like when PE recruiting kicked off. It was, it was, was that the year it was like insanely early, like November? Yeah. Uh, it was Halloween, my year. I yeah, remember Halloween. Okay. So Halloween is even worse. Right. So Halloween, <laughs> so it's almost a full two years before you'd start. So yeah. yeah. Were, did you get any looks? Were you, I mean, you're at a bulge bracket bank. Um, you're, you had probably not even done a deal or close a deal yet. Did you get any looks? Um, yeah. So, you know, I, there's that first on cycle period, right. right. Where, where uh, you know, the bigger private equity firms kick off their recruiting and they try to hire like half their class in two weeks. Um, yep. So I got a call the first night at 2 AM uh, saying that I had an interview with one of the large mega funds. Um, they wanted me in six hours after that call at like 8am. And I'm like, no, it's going to have to be later. And then I, I guess they were accommodating enough to like, let me come in like at noon, but I did that interview, got smoked, realized that I wasn't ready. And then pretty much sat out for the rest of that, like recruiting process. 
Oh, I love that. Let's talk about that. It's so interesting. For sure. <laughs> You're going to sure. call it 2 a.m. So had you, before going to bed, did you know that it had kicked off? I did. Yeah, I okay. did. So, and you had, had you been talking to recruiters prior to that? I had been, yeah. I, I had been talking to head hunters who were pretty much gatekeepers. Yeah, but did you, had you like reached out to them or they had they been reaching out to you? Getting re- They had been reaching out to me. Um, okay. I think, I think like if you're a bold bracket analyst, um, you generally have the benefit of having like all these headhunters reach out to you and set up meetings pretty proactively. Yep. Um, and so your goal was PE. You were like, I'm going to try it. Yeah. Um, I, I knew generally speaking that I didn't want to go to a mega fund. Just, it seemed like, um, very much focused on like the financial engineering side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I wanted to get a little bit closer to the operations of the business and just have a little bit more of a broader skill set than an extension of the one that I was going to be picking up in banking. Yep. Um, so that was my thought process in terms of what I wanted. Did you communicate that to them? Uh, I did. I think I was pretty firm with, but they still, but a mega fund still ended up calling you at 2 AM. Yeah. Um, I think that's just a reflection of, you know, the process. Yeah. Okay. So you get called, they're like, get in at 8 AM. You're like, no, I'll, and then how did that conversation go? How do you even say no? Isn't it like they tell you when to jump and you say how high and you just go as soon as like they're ready or what, what gave you the confidence to say no there? Why well, it, it, was, it was just like, it, it's not necessarily something that I, I was excited about. I mean, great opportunity, but I don't know if it was the right fit for me. So I didn't feel very compelled to, yeah. You were just like, look, I'll do it, but I don't, I, you know. Yeah. And, and part of, part of the logistical uh, weirdness here is like, I wanted to squeeze in like a model test that morning before I actually did the real thing um, okay. to be very candid. You knew you, knew you were going to get a modeling test. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What about, uh, so, okay. So you said they're hyper-focused on two to three things. Can you kind of, so let's actually, no, let's go keep the story going. So you're basically like, you get up that morning, you run through a modeling test. You, um, this is like a, like one hour, three hour modeling test. What, what were you doing? Uh, I think it was like a two hour, two, two, two hour. hour modeling okay. test. Yeah. So somewhat detailed, but not, not insane. Okay. Um, you get through that. Are you feeling good at this point? Uh, no, I thought the modeling test was hard. Um, I think like, uh, I hadn't really done like an M and A deal at that point yet. Um, and this particular model had like a really detailed revenue build, like the rest of the model super easy, but like just really weird, like source files where you have to run like a bunch of like crazy index matches and like some ifs, which like now it's like an everyday cadence that I do these things, but you know, sitting as like a recently graduated 22 year old without having you know, any like real deal modeling experience. Um, right. You know, I, I knew that it didn't, you know, go very well just because like I looked at my revenue numbers and they didn't make sense. Right. Okay. So that you basically went in thinking, okay, I'll give it a shot. So you went in, was the, what was the format of this, of this mega fund kind of interview? You went in and they like, was it behavioral at first or they just immediately threw you into the modeling test? Oh yeah, not at all. They sat me in like a waiting room. They put me in like a room with five other computers and people. Um, they timed us all at the same time. We went back to the waiting room and then they came in and told me that uh, I was done and I left. And that was the entire interview. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. It was basically like you didn't do the modeling test, right? Was it sim- the modeling test similar to the one you had practiced on that morning? Uh, yeah. I mean, it was really just like this very specific part of the model that I just, I didn't know how to do. Um, like the LBO stuff was fine. Like that's what I'd been practicing, but it was literally just like this weird source file that you had to scrub to like get your revenue numbers. And that kind of drove the rest of the model. So there's more data, data analytics or data kind of source, uh, sorting and all. Exactly. Um, got it. And then the rest of the parts was easy. Cause like, once you get the revenue numbers, it just flows and yeah, all, exactly. yeah sources and uses and all that good stuff. Okay. So that kind of probably left a certain taste in your mouth. Kind of that's your first uh, impression of <laughs> welcome to private yeah. equity recruiting. So you kind of go back, um, you say, okay, I'm, I'm bowing out. You tell the recruiters not this year kind of thing. Um, I basically tell them that I'm open, but I, at that point, start getting a lot more strict with myself in terms of the interviews that I take. Um, because ultimately I didn't want that experience to go down again, where I just kind of show up for a model test, get dinged, and then I'm out. Um, and 
I think at that point, well, I, I was you, what also, was your fear? What was your fear? Was like, I mean, because you could think, oh, it's great reps, but your fear was like, okay, I'm going to burn through my opportunities, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. it's like if, if these headhunters keep getting negative feedback on my modeling tests, then that's just yeah. you know a bridge I burn. Right, right. They're going to suddenly not see you as placeable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So th- that was the fear, I would say. Um, but uh, you know, I also had had like confidence in myself as a candidate. So I told them like, look, like this is all I'll take um, in terms of like the kinds of opportunities. Um, So being strict in that regard. And then just at the same time, I had actually got put on my first like major deal and that was extremely busy. Yeah. You're just like, forget this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Stay awake. (laughs) Exactly. So I, I started sprinting on like real work for like the next two months or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I started, you know, being able to get my head out of water, um, started taking a few more interviews. Got it. Okay. And had you done more reps, like with the modeling and all that stuff at that point? Yeah. I guess like in the background, I'd been practicing, like, you we know, should have put I you uh, through one of our boot camps. You would have been fine. Yeah. I, I probably would have gotten an offer sooner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little plug in there. Um, so yeah. Um, no, it's funny. We had these uh, PE interview boot camps. We do it's like eight hours of insane, um, intense like cases and modeling. It'll be a modeling. Probably super helpful. It is. Yeah, it gets it gets them kind of like a taste of like, oh, I need to go study a lot more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> people, yeah. people realize like you got to be able to do this, or you're not going to make it to the other side. Um, but okay, so you're kind of you're. It sounds like you kind of started back up, even though it was off cycle. It wasn't like you didn't wait a whole year. No, it, it just just because I didn't feel like I was at that big of a disadvantage, like I was pretty conscious that it was like one bad model test, and like right in in the time between, like I had gotten some pretty meaningful deal experience. Yeah, yeah, it was like a pretty brutal first deal, and like I I didn't feel like I was you know ill prepared to go through the process. Again. Okay, great. So you kind of started talking to recruiters, say, hey, "I'm ready again." Um, even though a lot had already hired, there you know there's still middle market funds out there and whatnot, and. And so then tell me about that. Did you go through a lot of other processes or was it like one and done on, on the next one? Oh, I wish it was one and done. That would have <laughs> saved me a lot of stress. Uh, no, I think I had gone through maybe eight more additional interviews. Eight more processes? Yeah, but not like full processes. Like yeah. I'd gotten dinged for some reason or another, or like, you know, I got the model wrong or, you know, whatever other reason. Um, yeah. I think it just finally took me to like, you know, four or five months after that period, um, to actually find something that worked. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about like the, the mix of like those eight or so kind of interviews where like, where half did half have modeling tests, did most have modeling tests or did, I think all of them did. All of them, all did, of them did. Okay. That's surprising. Cause how about cases, like specific cases? Was it like, were they, did you have to def- have anything where you had to go in and like defend your, like, is this a good deal, bad deal kind of thing after the test? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's actually a good distinction. It was either a model or a case study. Or a case. Okay. But it was some, some sort of like work product you were putting out. Yeah, exactly. But it was very rarely the case where like, I would have a case study without some sort of model supplementing that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think it it just comes down to like the nature of what I was interviewing for. Like I was pretty focused on LBO buyout. um, And I think that just tends to have like more, kind of quantitative checks during that interview process. Yep. Fair enough. Okay. So you're basically going through this and tell me like, um, biggest surprise, biggest, like, were you getting better as you went through it? Were you having more time to study And that? Is that why you, you landed one or was it just the right fit came along and you hit the modeling, you got the modeling test, right. And what do you feel like was the final kind of reason you ended up? Yeah. I I think, I think it's a combination of all of those things. And I think all of those things compound on each other. Yeah. Um, I think honestly, though, the biggest driver for me was that I was getting very real deal experience. Um, yeah. At my bank. And so you could talk to it in interviews, made your interviews stronger. Yeah, for sure. Like it, it was getting to a point where like I just knew this deal like stone cold and, you know, I, I could speak to like very small details of it, knew the nuances in the model. Um, and I think like when it came down to interviews, um, I sort of uh, like understood what were kind of the repeating questions and like the questions that I should expect. Yeah. And so even if I got dinged somewhere, I would, you know, go back through, make sure that I can answer the question that didn't go so well for like the next process. 
Yeah. Um, but I will say, like, I honestly, I, I don't feel as though um, I got dinged for any particular reason sometimes. Like, I think often these processes are, like, so competitive. Um, they just kind of take who they like or they take who they think will accept the offer. Or they take kids from the target schools that they went to. A little bit, yeah, honestly. There's a little bit of that still, you know, because PE, it's like you could choose from whomever. I mean, there's so many good candidates. Like, Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a little bit of that. And by the way, was your GPA higher by the time you graduated? Yeah, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that to say another uphill battle? Let's probably still look at it. Um, okay, so you're you're kind of um, you get the offer, you kind of finish out your second year, right? Um, to get to get the bonus and kind of finish your two years. Is that is that how it went? Yeah, that's right. Okay, and then um, you know, how was the transition to PE for you? Was it was it tough? Was it you know? Was it to a much smaller group or team? And um, how was that transition? Was it something that was easy for you or, or hard? For me, it was hard. Um, yeah. It, I mean, the ramp in PE is a lot like larger, I would say, um, than the one in banking, where I think, yeah, especially coming from a bulge bracket bank, uh, you have to get used to the lean deal team and understand that you are entirely accountable for like work product. Um, so that was like a huge adjustment. Um, and just like the level of intensity where, you know, I worked on a fund uh, after my banking program where, you know, it, it wasn't flat per se, but like everyone on the deal team was expected to contribute and be vocal and, you know, learning to have an opinion and then voicing it is actually not like a natural skill. <laughs> yeah. Especially out of like a bank where you're told, like when you can go to the bathroom, basically <laughs> yeah, exactly. no, going I'm from sorry. like, go, I, that, that just happened to me. I mean, I went from like a place where I literally was working 90, hundred hour weeks and was just like, I was a machine, right. In, in, in like a cog. And then you go out and then you're completely like, just here, like yeah. go, go work with these portfolio companies, go get this deal process done. And you're just like, wait a second, what am I doing? Yeah. And, and I think that speaks to kind of the training programs that a lot of like private equity firms or, or lack thereof. And like, they're you know, starting, they're starting to roll them out. We're actually going to, we're going to be selling them. Um, we're, we, this summer coming up, we've already have one close to being done as a private equity associate training. Uh, oh, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just such a big need right now, especially since they're like they're getting, they're getting associates. Number one, they're complaining that like the associates are worse than they've ever been. <laughs> <laughs> just because they're like hiring to hire people so early in the process. Um, but then and they're they're hiring like a bunch of COVID analysts too. <laughs> yeah. You know, just like kids who have never seen the inside of an office building. Exactly. Exactly. Have to like grit it through. And a lot of them are starting analyst programs where the kids have no experience, no professional experience. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's a need there. Um, so yeah, but interesting. So you were there, you're at your first place for um, you know, you didn't stay like a full two years or anything. Is there a reason you decided to move and come to your new place or um, in particular? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think ultimately, um, so a little bit of context for the prior role. Um, I was in a non-New York City location for that first gig. Yeah, just so you don't feel any like I'm putting pressure. I got fired from my first private equity gig uh, within four months. So, <laughs> oh, okay, <there> you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't <laughs> okay, say you got no. fired. I don't know what happened to your thing. I mean, I ended up finding out later on that it was um, performance, you know, it went from like 20 down, down to four investment professionals. I think I was just the, the last in first out kind of thing. Uh, life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, a lot of people think PE, you reach the, the, you know, the, the whole, the Holy grail or, you know, you're, you're the grass is the grass is greener type of thing where you're celebrating. Lifestyle job. Yeah. yeah. You've reached like this <laughs> great thing. And it's, it's not always like that. It can be pretty tough places um, to work and, and, not always the most stable either. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I, I think there are a few drivers for for my decision. Um, the first of which would be um, I was in a non New York City location, mm -hmm. and then I think after giving it like an honest try for like six months or so, I knew that I wanted to be back in New York. Um, so that was, I think, by far the biggest driver. And then career wise, um, I was at a sector focused fund. And I, I thought the sector was fine. And, you know, I did it because that's where I was placed in banking. And then that lent itself to recruiting into this group um, for private equity yep. as well. Yep. Um, I think ultimately I wanted to transition into like an industry or a vertical that I could see myself in for a longer period of time than just two years. Um, 
And so I think a combination of those two things uh, made me kind of pick back up the recruiting train again. And truth be told, I was actually pretty open to like non-finance roles as well. So thinking about startups and cool uh, kind of strategy kind of roles and stuff like that, but um, ultimately didn't really find a fit there. Um, and then with very good timing, um, this opportunity with my current fund came out and uh, I had some very, very long conversations with the team here. Um, felt like I really did my diligence uh, more so than when I went through the private equity recruiting process the first time, just because I didn't want to repeat, you know, uh, a second time, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to jump, 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 like, you know, yeah, that's, that's the thing is like, if you move quickly once, you can't do it again. You're kind of stuck for, for at least a couple of years. Exactly. So yeah. I, I was, I really took my time, really made sure that this was potentially a team that I'd be happy working with mm-hmm. and ultimately moved into what I would call like a flexible mandate technology fund. And so far it's been fantastic. I've been here for nearly a year now and uh, yeah, so far so good. Awesome, man. That's great. I love this story. <laughs> it's a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. It took a while to get there, but you got the happy ending. No, it's great. So like, I think for, I mean, some good lessons here, any, any kind of, before we call it any final words of wisdom, you'd, you'd kind of share with some of the listeners in terms of looking back at your story or, or kind of your path. Uh, yeah. Um, I'd call it like underrated advice, which is, uh, at the end of the day, you got to do what you want, not what you think you have to do. Um, I feel like, especially in finance, like there's tremendous pressure from kind of every angle to kind of get the next job or go into a certain group or, you know, whatever else. I think what most people find is that, you know, not only are they unhappy doing that, but it reduces their longevity in, in those roles and they either burn out quicker or like, you know, they just don't have the motivation that they had before they started that process. And I think ultimately uh, you know, the reason why I've been able to keep up a lot of my like energy is because like, you know, I, I've generally been lucky enough to be in places where I've thought I've had a good fit. Um, and whenever I felt otherwise, I, I left. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I'm very conscious that there's a lot of luck involved with that progression. But I think, again, like in terms of like playing the long game, that's just sort of what you have to do. It's great. I love it. We'll end it there. Thanks so much for sharing your story. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, Patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.